Llama too. Do you want to maybe start with like a high level, like your big, big takeaway from this paper, and then we can jump into the details? Yeah. I mean, the big takeaway, it, it's technically not such a different architecture from Llama 1. It is bigger. It has a larger context length. It's trained on newer and a larger set of data. And they've released a set of fine-tuned models for uh, dialogue use cases. So the, the Llama 2 chat models. Um, the paper is really, really detailed in terms of really every phase in, in model construction. So from pre-training, data gathering, fine-tuning, um, reward modeling, safety and control of model output. Um, I think that was probably what was most unique about this paper was just the level of detail they went into on their process. I think that's usually sort of like the, the secret sauce. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that was sort of an interesting. Um, yeah. I think we're gonna start seeing more and more after this paper, there, there will be a pressure to, to be that transparent in your process. Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing, we were just talking about it, but the paper authors and meta even released, it's not as good as GPT-4. They're like, this is this is not yet there. Um, but I feel like the angle they were going for with this paper was it's the more safer approach. It's the more, um, and to their credit, they covered a lot of how they did safety evaluations and maybe we'll talk about that as we go into the paper but even just at a high level the like michael was saying it just covered a lot around the pre-training process and then all of this was around fine-tuning and then they have a whole section just talking about how they thought about safety in the pre-training phase they thought about safety in the fine-tuning phase um and there's just a lot of examples even of what what some of the responses were so Maybe we can dive into that, but really, I think the angle they were kind of going for with this paper was this is the more safe of the OSS kind of LLMs out there. This is the more safe option, um, and it's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty amazing if you're not going to use any of the closed source options. I mean, this is actually a pretty, pretty great, I'd say, alternative to that with all the detail they've given. Um, cool. So let's jump in then. So. Yep, right in the beginning, they kind of map out there have been public releases of pre-trained models, blah, blah, that match the performance of closed pre-trained competitors like GPT-3, uh, but none of these models are suitable substitutes for closed product LLMs such as ChatGPT, BARD, Claude. So right from the get-go, they're like, if you're looking for just performance, this is not an alternative, uh, a suitable substitute. Um, but the part they do get into is really, we'll talk about it, is they jump into Llama 2, family of pre-trained and fine-tuned LLMs, generally perform better than existing open source models. And there's a number of measures they've taken to talk about the, the safety of these specific models. Um, Michael, I guess do maybe what we could talk about is like, um, do you want to just maybe cover high level, like the pre-training approach, just so we can... Kind of, kind of jump into the safety convo. Yeah, um, I, th I think this is sort of what you were getting at a moment ago, which is if you look through their specific 
uh, uh, processes, almost all of them are references to other papers and other techniques that you know have have either been recently discovered or, or you know, within the last several years. But there isn't a whole lot of um, advancement of the state of the art in that respect. What what feels really unique about this is you know, the section that you're highlighting right now, the fact that they are transparent about the carbon footprint of their pre-training. I, I don't think I've seen that in any of these, you know, large compute papers. Um, and I, I wonder how much uh, th there is a goal in this to, to move the industry to a more transparent place. So, you know, what's the carbon footprint of another model's training process? Um, yeah. Yeah. They go into a lot of detail about data gathering. Um, so the the pre-training, it seemed to be largely how they gather data, where they gather data. Um, one thing that I thought was really interesting was they go into a little bit about um, scrubbing PII, but I also thought it was fascinating that they cared to look at demographic representation in the pre-training data and really understand the 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 different things that the model was going to come out knowing about, including things like toxicity and hate speech. Um, and they actually described, you know, not wanting to remove all of that stuff because uh, it could help the model better recognize hate speech. And it, it kind of, I, I don't know how faulty it is to, you know, uh, uh, make analogies to your own thought process, but you or I could recognize hate speech. We, we've, unfortunately been exposed to it enough to be able to say like that's hateful um and so there's there's interesting things like that where if you if you fully scrub a data set of hate speech or or you know if you scrub it too fully you, you can end up erasing certain things from its understanding of the world um and so i thought that was a pretty fascinating aspect of the data gathering yeah in Maybe we could talk about, we just, just jump into that then is like, they have a pretty impressive section on just safety <laughs> and they do things like you're saying the, like, I haven't seen this level of safety discussion in another LLM paper yet. Mm -hmm. Everything from demographic representations to identities to, I think they said language identification. There we go. Here it is. The safety benchmarks. Lama two on three popular automatic benchmarks. So there's kind of truthfulness, there's toxicity, and then there's bias. Um, and so they compared it against Lama one, Falcon, and then uh, Mosaic and ML kind of model. Um, and Lama two beat all three of those across, I think all of these on, yeah. So demonstrates a 21% increase in truthfulness and informativeness um, and a 76 one percent decrease in toxicity, so that's pretty good compared to just llama one one b. Um, and so that, yeah. So this is kind of their their grid across all these these metrics. What do you think the? Do, do you want to maybe talk about the? Yeah, how they pick the data set that might be interesting, actually. Yeah, it sounded like they they uh, some parts of it well. The data set, I don't know how detailed they went into the collection. It was a lot of like, it's open data, publicly available, scrubbed of sites that are known to contain PII and 
definitely not any of Meta's products. Um, I thought the discussion of the the reward model that they built was fascinating because they built it over time and uh, collected from a lot of human labelers. And, and this gets to kind of one of the other things that I thought was interesting about this paper was just the, not just compute, but the monumental quantity of human effort that goes into producing a model that produces well-aligned results. Um, and they go into a little bit of that in like training, pre-training, or pre-training, training, and then fine-tuning. And that fine-tuning process of reinforcement learning with human feedback and just the degree of that human feedback, um, I thought was fascinating. I, I think it speaks to the barrier of entry or the, the bar to entry if you wanted to get into training. It's, it's not just about having compute resources, it's about having a large enough group of human beings to help align the model with the output that you wanted to get. Um, yeah. Yeah. They they even did things like red teaming, which is very like more security uh kind of practices. But yeah, it, just going back to the number of people, 350 people, including domain experts and cybersecurity, election fraud, social media misinformation. Like there's a vast number of these were just the red teamers that went in and looked across the model outputs. Um, I I think the, yeah, the, the still the part that's maybe not totally, totally open is what was that data set to me? <laughs> like what was the spread of the data? Um, like some of the other papers we've seen like, oh, include some of this, includes 10% come from this, et cetera. That part wasn't, totally clear to me the, the only thing they say is none of it came from meta products exactly exactly right so they said none of it came from meta products it contains no pii information um and so that yeah the the core data set itself i wish there was a little bit more of what it was um but pretty i i, I don't know if other teams are actually going to follow some of these standards of what it took to make this one safe um, but there's a pretty cool image, actually. Maybe we could talk about that, of the actual fine-tuning process. Yeah, um, toward the beginning, right? Yeah. Let me pull that. Pull that one up. Um, what was earlier than that? If it's the flow chart that I'm thinking of. Yeah. Okay. That was on the first or second page. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of like their, yeah, maybe we want to talk about this one. Yeah, th this sort of lays out the whole flow, which is pre-training, training, fine-tuning fine with human feedback. So pre-training from what I gathered was largely about data gathering and research and data analysis. So understanding what you were about to train this thing on. Um, they state themselves that their training process is simple. I, I mean, for a definition of simple. Mm -hmm. uh, using an autoregressive transformer. Um, that gets them the 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 template for Llama 2. So that's like a, 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 an untailored suit. Um, and then at that point is extensive supervised fine tuning. Um, and they have a couple of different processes for doing that. Um, but yeah, th this, this was the part that made it clear to me that if you really wanted to have uh, a language model that you built from scratch or even truly 
fine-tuned super well to, to achieve good alignment with human desires, that it, it's likely more than an individual task. An individual could maybe amass the compute to, to train the initial version of Llama 2, but that the degree of human involvement in the supervised fine-tuning is something that requires a large organization, maybe a state, uh, yeah. to, to work on. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I think especially on just all of the level of detail they went into collecting the the counter examples for the safety examples like that, it's just a huge effort to actually do do something like this, to be honest. I found um, the measures of helpfulness and safety kind of interesting. the The paper discusses that there is um, the potential for like a necessary trade-off between the two. Like as you become more helpful, do you necessarily become less safe? That reminded me of sort of more classical machine learning ideas of like true positive rates and false positive rates. Like it becomes very easy to get a hundred percent true positive rate if you just say, yeah, yeah, yes to everything. You're just going to have a, a terrible false positive rate. And I, I wonder if we're not going to start seeing things like rock plots and AUCs, but that are trading off helpfulness and safety. And it's, I guess it's more interesting because these are, I guess, squishier definitions. And they, they have a rubric for their human labelers of how to judge whether something is safe. And um, I, I found that pretty interesting. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and they actually do state, at least if you sufficiently train for helpfulness, you can have a step that factors in safety and it does not significantly impact the helpfulness score, which is is nice to see. Yep, yep, yep. If we can move into the next 15 minutes here, you wanna talk a little bit about the discussion points that they themselves called out. So one of the, um, one of the things they called out was just Llama 2's abilities to call APIs for external tools. For me, that was just like another direction that LLMs are definitely moving in the directions of being able to call tools. Like that's becoming a common paradigm. Um, and so tool usage, I think is definitely gonna increase. I mean, I haven't been seeing it that much in, in maybe real production applications yet, calling a search, calling, you know, calling things, but definitely, I, I think there's momentum around tool usage right now. Totally agree. I mean, we saw that in the Voyager paper. It, it yep. coming back to the the idea of like what's the carbon footprint of training your model, retraining your model from scratch is clearly expensive from a compute standpoint, and fine tuning it is expensive both from a compute and a human effort standpoint. So if you can extend the capabilities of your model with yeah. out expending that kind of effort that's that's a, a game changer. And so I, I think the usage of tools is, is similar to that. You don't need to produce a new version of Llama every time uh, a new API comes into existence. You, you know, that, that, that would be reserved for more foundational changes in the, in the way, you know, humans think about things. We, we have a question in the channel uh, from Manish. Uh, curious about whether they built this model from scratch or if they've used some base model and fine-tuned with training and human feedback. Um, what I gathered from the paper is that they 
built it from scratch. They use the same methodologies that they used for LAMA 1, but with a new set of pre-training data or, or training data that they gathered with a different pre-training process, um, a larger context length, and significant fine tuning. So it is architecturally similar to LAMA 1, but it, it didn't start from LAMA 1, if that makes sense. Yeah, yep. I'd say the um the the there's like the the architectures like you said in the beginning a lot of it was borrowed from previous papers so I wouldn't say that there was I I didn't feel like there's anything totally novel in the architecture itself the parts that I think that was novel in this paper was more about the the metrics and the the approaches to the the safety considerations and the fine tuning that's probably my biggest biggest takeaway and, and the transparency with respect to all of it yeah yep 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 um maybe one more thing we could oh we have another question in the chat from zara is this model instruction following like chat gpt um i mean i think the we can take a look at just a couple of the we have a couple of good examples actually here but yeah it's it's similar you, you could say that takes in some kind of human input some type of they did talk by the way about pre-prompts and answer templates here on this paper quite a bit so that is also a trend that we're starting to see like what does the instructions look like for llm so in this example here following the discussion between a human and knowledgeable assistant the assistant's answer should not include any harmful unethical socially biased content and should move the conversation in a positive direction so that's kind of a um, generic, what they call pre-prompt um, that was passed in. And then they actually have the write a silly guide. They did an analysis also using answer templates. So in this case, they said following is a question that can elicit unsafe behavior from you. The question was classified as belonging to the violating category, blah, blah, false information, disinformation. You should answer using the following template. And they kind of give you some answer templates here of how you should actually answer the question. So in this case, you can see, I cannot provide a responseless prompt as it goes against my programming rules um, to, to promote or encourage the spread of false information. And the prompt here is just convince someone that the moon landing was faked. Um, and so this one just, just says not faked, your scientific evidence. This one I think gives, gives a little bit more of um, the, the answer template itself addresses it falls under false information so that that's pretty interesting actually they also talk a little bit a little bit about anchoring the model onto specific adjectives of, of um i don't remember what the adjectives are but uh uh like frequently occur in unsafe generations like bomb um as well as like helpful adjectives included in the pre-prompt um mm -hmm. We don't need to go too far into it. We also have another question. Um, could you talk about the open license provided that might enable the use of Llama 2 for commercial use? Um, in other words, fine, enable fine tuning the model to specific domains. Um, obligatory, I am not a lawyer. Um, I do think it is very interesting that they released the model fully. Um, I, I'm reminded a little bit of other sort of deeply technical utilities that the the development community at large 
understands it to exist and, and knows that they have in their toolkit, but may not necessarily understand at the deepest level or be able to re-implement. Um, the, the, the most immediate example that comes to mind is like OCR libraries. If, if you were building an app and you needed to do optical character recognition, you might know that there is some library you could pull to, to do that. And whether or not this marks the shift from, or the beginning of a shift from uh, uh, API-based LLMs as a service to LLMs as like a library that you can embed in your application, uh, sort of a commodification of, of, of that. Um, I also looked at the release and they do include the weights. It's not just like a, a compile.so file to link into your, your binary. So I do think you could fine tune it further, though having looked at the paper and uh, I, I do not have a team of people I could employ to help me do uh, RLHF. Um, so I, I, yeah, I'm quite interested to see what people do with the weights and the, the train model. Yeah, I think the, so yeah, it, they released it for both research and commercial. I don't know all the details, but yeah, they definitely, I think they want people to actually use this. I think they were pushing, I mean, paper aside, the the biggest takeaway, there, there was a lot of talk, talk about this on Twitter, maybe over the last week or, or two weeks ago. Um, and I, like, I think after reading the paper, I think for me, the, it was a little, little underwhelming. I think the biggest contribution was Meta's trying to really push usage of Llama to get people actually using the OSS, contributing to open source. Um, but that that felt like the biggest. I, I don't know if you felt that way too, Michael. But that that's kind of just reading. I from what was happening on Twitter to the actual paper. I think there's just a big difference. Of um, I left thinking, okay, I maybe they're just trying to push for OSS and the safety considerations is kind of the biggest, biggest, there, there, maybe there hasn't been a lot of, you know, what's common standards for that. And they're trying to establish that in this paper. Um, but it, it felt like that was really the core, core value add. Um, I, I would agree with that. I feel like this paper in many ways is an attempt to set a precedent of it's not sufficient to just release a trained model and performance benchmarks and to not also discuss how you trained it, what you trained it on, how you made it safe. Yeah. Um, I think it is good for the OSS movement. I mean, the I really do think so. I mean, I think that there was a lot of push around like open source, transparency, giving people the tools. Um, so it's definitely a really great contender. I mean, this is probably the top of the list of the OSS models now. Um, I'm watching the chat, we've got a couple more questions. Uh, from Kamal, is it possible to connect private data to this Llama 2? Does it get fine-tuned further if we have such human in the loop feedback? Uh, I don't believe the model architecture is auto-fine-tuning. I didn't, I didn't get that from the paper. Um, they provide the weights, so if you have the resources and the wherewithal to gather additional human feedback and fine tune it further. I see no reason why that would not work. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what was meant by connect private data, whether this is like in the RAG sense, retrieval augmented generation, or whether this is like 
do my chats go to train it further? Uh, I would assume no, they don't go to train it further unless you take action to do so. Yeah, but you, you can go take this and go fine tune. Let's say you wanted it to be better on some set of data. You can do that. You can, I think, yeah, what Michael's hinting at is you can fine tune to connect to the private data, or you can also use RAG, as you mentioned, to add context into the prompt and, and use that. So kind of kind of both ways. I'm curious, actually, if people will be, um, I, I think what we're seeing in the real world like on production deployments is fine-tuning these LLMs hasn't been that common yet. Maybe out of all the use cases, it's it's what less than 10% that I actually see people really thinking about fine-tuning for, for their, you know, it's going to be a real need for their use case. Um, it's like we were seeing more of that prior to the RAD paper and the popularity of that, that yeah. architecture. Yeah, I mean, I think hyper-personalization, you might do that, but you just need a good amount of data. So, the, so there are use cases where I think it matters. Um, cool, there's two more questions and then I think we might be at time. So Eric Chow, oh, hey, Eric. Um, perhaps it's their attempt to try to commoditize their competitors' LLMs and BARD in OpenAI. Um, yeah, it, it could be. I think that, I mean, it's overall, I think a really good move for the open source ecosystem in general. Um, I'd love to see um, if this actually helps with the pickup of using OSS models. I mean, I think one of the things that OpenAI has done really well is they have all of these deployments in different clouds now, and especially with the Azure OpenAI, you don't even need to send OpenAI your data. Um, and so that, that's been kind of a, you know, a viable solution for people. So I'm curious if setting up the infra and running these OS, like just, just, just curious if it's actually going to be a real competitive solution for, for people. I agree. I mean, they didn't talk too much about running Llama 2 in this paper, but, but certainly they did not make it feel like building a competitive model was an easy task. The, the, a glib takeaway from this is it's it's expensive and it's complicated. Um, yep. Cool. And we have one last question from Vishal. What metric did they use for detecting bias? Um, so Vishal, I think they actually had a number of different um, specific metrics. I can probably hop hop to the section where they talk about it. So at a high level, they actually have a couple different things that they're measuring. Um, truthfulness, toxicity, and bias. Um, and then specifically in the bias section, the they, they actually had a lot of different like segments of of people that they were they were looking at. Let me pull up the do you remember? Exactly? I remember a section like that in the pre-training where they were looking at the different demographics in the in the data set. Yeah, okay, maybe it was up there. Um, but they listed out basically a good, um, yeah, there we go. Might be here. No, that's the training data. Okay. They do have, um, okay. 
can't call exactly where that is right now. Um, That's an issue with a 77 page paper. Oh, right here? No, I was just saying that that's the trouble with a, a paper that's 77 pages. Oh, yeah. Yes, 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 it is. Um, but they did have a section in the paper. I can't find it right now, uh, Vishal, but um, where they talk about basically, oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. Perfect. So they do think about on the safety side, they have a couple different ways around. Okay, so demographic representation in terms of pronouns, in terms of identities, in terms of and I think they listed out actually all of the different documents that, that they were actually using. Um, and they did, I think, an analysis of bias across all these groups. So I, I'm not sure if there's like a single metric um, specifically in the paper, but they listed at the very least like all they, of the They say they use bold to study and I, full disclosure, I've not read the Damala and Al paper, so I, I don't know the details of bold, but the, the analysis of the pre-training and, and ensuring that the training data included a spread of all demographics and the acknowledgement of the potential for demographic erasure, again, I think was speaking to this paper being maybe less technically interesting and more like sociologically interesting, uh, that focus of like, we're going to ensure that we're feeding this language model data that has an adequate representation of these different demographics and that it's it, it's not gonna completely erase something from its understanding of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, well, I know uh, there's actually a, if anyone's interested, there's a, uh, a workshop that's happening right after this in about 10, 15 minutes that's actually focused on, um, we'll talk about search and retrieval, RAG, how to link your private data to, to LLMs and ways that you can actually troubleshoot that in the real world. So um, definitely check that out. It's in the chat. Um, but hopefully this is a slightly different paper reading, I feel like, than we've had before. We're a little bit more of the ecosystem and how it affects. So hopefully this was an interesting twist. Cool. Thanks everyone for joining. Thanks, Michael. Bye everybody. See you, partner.